Today, the Arsenic Show was visited by Christina Maria Martinez to discuss a variety of topics surrounding her book, Shattered Pieces Everywhere. It was written after a very traumatic car wreck, which led to image issues, self-doubt, and depression. We also discussed growing up in poverty and why she didn't end up killing herself. Lastly, we discussed her business running a luxury home magazine with her husband. And with that, here is my chat with Christina Maria Martinez. Hello and welcome to the Arsenic Show. Today I have with me Christina Maria Martinez. How are you? Great, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming down. I was uh, doing a little tongue twister with your name there for a second, but uh, I think I got it. You wanted to say it in Spanish, <laughs> I know. I sure did. Wait, isn't that how you say it in Spanish? <laughs> sort of, yeah. Exactly, Pretty very close. similar. Pretty close. Uh, so where are you based? San Antonio, okay. not too far. Did you drive up today? I did. Oof, how was that? A little rain, a little traffic. Uh-huh. I pulled bad. over for a minute. <laughs> oh, did you really? That bad? It's a little, yeah. Oh. I spend so many like hours indoors. I Sometimes I walk out and it's like, oh, everything's wet. I'm like, I guess it must have rained or someone turned on a hose because... <laughs> Something happened. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> That's my alabaster glow behind my computer. You never know. <laughs> You're getting your vitamin D. That's right. Finally. Um, yeah, these better be full spectrum lights. Um, Chris, you better upgrade them. Uh, okay, so we are here to talk about your book. Um, so the book is Shattered Pieces Everywhere. Why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your story? It sounds like uh, there's quite a quite a bit there. Uh, yeah, love to hear about it. Well, thanks for letting me share the story. Of course. But um, it all kind of started. I met um, Rudy Rudiger. Are you familiar with the Ru- no. uh, the movie Rudy? Oh yes, yes. Okay. What uh-huh. are your thoughts on the movie Rudy? Um, well, it's been a very long time since I've seen it, but I seemed I like I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's inspiring. Yeah. I mean, he um, tells his story and went through that. Well, we had a rare opportunity to have dinner with Rudy, hmm. and he shared his story and and a kind of rare car ride back to the hotel. He asked a little bit about my story. And thought that I should share it. Um, and as I thought through my story, I thought, well, I kind of got like the happy ending, the love story, right? Even though my start wasn't that way, my middle wasn't that way, kind of ended with this, you know, happy ending, like I think of a Hallmark movie, maybe. Mm. And um, I never would have thought to write a book or share my story. I actually spent many years hiding my story. And I'm sure we'll dive kind of into that. Yeah, of course. But um, this was just a way for me to uh, share that inspiration and maybe offer hope to someone who didn't have circumstances like mine, you know, a community that's surrounded. And it started um, with sitting down with a pen and paper, you know, with... um, Really? Pen? Wow. (laughs) I know. I mean, I have one too, but (laughs) it's kind of rare to be using that for actually writing long form stuff. It is. I think it was just, um, what did I think about? my story. And it was some questions. I'll be honest. Um, there was a journal from a book, um, Michelle's Becoming, and it was gifted to me as well in that journey. And I kind of talk about this in the acknowledgments, but I am the non-journaler, non-committed. So for me, writing my story in a book was a little bit too much. I felt like a piece of paper I could throw away and toss and no one would see it, right? Mm. Um, but it just began with, you know, writing some of those thoughts down. Um, and so did you know you were writing a book when you were writing? Uh, yes. Um, did I know that I would share the amount that I shared? No. Uh, I think that as we dove into it, it became um, a little therapeutic and a little bit more deeper than I expected. I think I had an idea of telling the nice part of my story or maybe even the recovery, but not so much the darker side of the story. Mm. Well, why don't you tell us like kind of what happened? What, why did it, uh, why did you even feel the compelled to write a story? 
I, you know, I think that my story, maybe it could resonate with someone who felt like whether it was their upbringing or their current situation was something they would too hide. You know, they couldn't feel proud of, or they felt like they had scars. You know, um, I think of, I have scars on my outside and we'll talk about that, but I feel like a lot of people walk around with their scars inside and they don't talk about what's going on. They just want to present their best version of themselves. And they think that that's what they need to present to the world, right? And for me, I first um, feel like the scars started when I was younger. My mom was a single mom. And uh, through the encouragement of her community, she gave us up to a children's home. She gave up her parental rights. And so we, I was about four years old, my sister's six. And I think my mom got to the point where she couldn't really afford to feed herself, much less her kids. Um, summer was coming, you know, Christmas is around the corner. And I think those dollar signs add up the start of school. You know, a lot of times people don't realize that those are exciting times for kids, you know, mm-hmm. new backpack, new school supplies, new clothes, or Christmas opening gifts from under the tree. But for a lot of families, that's a lot. The burden is a lot too. And through the encouragement of her community, we'll call it, um, she thought that was a really, the best plan for us was to give us up. So I stayed in a children's home called Hillcrest in Arkansas. So uh, I started in New Orleans. So we took that journey there. Um, But my mom was really resilient. I think is resilient, I should say. So you've kept in contact with her, that sounds like? She came back for us. So I grew up with my mom, which I don't think everyone's story is like that. So I think that- Definitely (laughs) not. No, and it starts the shattered piece, right? Um, So my mom coming back for us meant that things hadn't changed and things didn't necessarily get better, um, but we would be all together. Right. Putting it back together. Putting the shattered pieces together. Wow. It's (laughs) almost like you could write a book about that. Um, (laughs) So, okay. So- First of all, I want to go, go back to the the shame thing for a second. I've been thinking about this a while. I, th- I think I probably first started thinking about this with Brene Brown um, when she was talking about vulnerability. It seems like there's this level of shame that people feel about all kinds of things that are somewhat strange to have shame about, like like a crush, for instance. Why are you ashamed of right. finding someone attractive? Or uh, you know, you know, being slightly overweight. Why are you ashamed of being slightly overweight? Like that, like I could see why you'd want to work out, you know, but I don't, but the, the physical shame, like that deep sense of something being wrong internally, uh, whether it's truly internal, like you said, or whether it's external, like I just, or disfiguration as another very common one. Um, but that's not your fault, you know, (laughs) it just happened. Right. And, and so there's a lot of things that, um, like I feel a lot of sympathy for people with shame and I think Brene Brown's uh, take on it is embracing the the vulnerability of it and, and just talking about it. Oh, it put is, it out for the whole world, right? It's is really therapeutic. So I'd be curious how you felt after producing a book. Well, vulnerability isn't my strong suit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. I think we, sometimes we care too much about what people think. You know, there's a reason why we have a selfie filters and, you know, Instagram, we have these painted life, you know, that everyone wants to model after, but we don't necessarily talk about what's behind the doors or what's really going on. You know, have Mm -hmm. you probably have met someone or know someone that on the outside, everything looks great, but on the inside it's rough waters. Right. But I think it's just, we want to, um, have people see us perfect. And I think we want to be perfect. What, What does that mean? I mean, I have no idea what that means. I don't have it. Right. 
But I think whether it was growing up little, because I think about when I was little and I was ashamed of being poor. And I think you just want to be like the next person. I just want to be the same as you. I don't want you to think of me any different, right? That's social acceptance. Absolutely. But if we didn't care, we wouldn't have mirrors or buy new clothes or enjoy some of the things in life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that we all kind of care in some capacity. Maybe we say we don't care, but I think we do. So when you were separated from your mother, what, what did you feel about that? What, how did you feel about her in those times? I think everybody is up to leave me. You know, I think that who's going to stick around, you know, when you're that young of an age, you know, what do you have to hold on to? How old were you? Four Mm -hmm. strangers. And I actually went to go back and visit Hillcrest. And ironically, I didn't know the age or have the memories. I thought I was much older and they shared the age. My son was that same age when I visited Hillcrest, which was about eight years ago. Mm. And I realized, okay, right now, he knows he, he can have these same memories. If I was able to have the memories of Hillcrest when I was four, he knows what's going on. Yeah, but you were going through a very traumatic moment at that True. time in your life. Uh, so that might have burned it in a little bit faster. Oh, absolutely. But we just assume kids don't, ah, they'll forget about it. Or they're little, they don't have the memory. I but, hope. Yeah. <laughs> and keep them kids, you know. Absolutely. Oof. But I think abandonment is something. I think it sticks with you and stays with you. And I think in writing this book, um, I had some great friends when I shared with them, I wanted to talk about the accident and, you know, my life at the time and then how I kind of came out of this, you know, the ashes. And they really helped me put it in perspective. It really wasn't a book about an accident. You know, it was started many years before that. A girl who was insecure, who, you know, um, and it all stemmed really from feeling like, Who's going to leave me next and when, right? And I think that seems very negative, but I think that vulnerability kind of ties in when you are, um, you don't know who's going to stay in your life and it carries on to relationships and friendships and just keeps going and it unravels into you. So would you find yourself self-sabotaging because you just wanted to get it over with? I think just expecting like, I'm enjoying you right now, but you might leave me, Mm. right? Well, eventually I will have to leave, so. (laughs) I love you so much. I don't live here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm enjoying it. I think Chris would have words. Uh, But isn't that true? I mean, sometimes (laughs) when you feel like, then relationships seem temporary. I don't mm-hmm. want you to leave. I want you to stay. I enjoy you, but I'm waiting for the last shoe to drop, right? right? Mm-hmm. And that's hard. I mean, that that doesn't give the other person the benefit of the doubt, but it's not their fault, right? So I think just we moved so much. I went to 15 schools. You know, wow. high school, I went to three. That's like more than one a year. And it wasn't because I was military. Right. Which sometimes you understand, but... So uh, were, were you even able to have friends when you're doing that? I mean... It's hard to make friends because you're going to leave, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But also when you grow up and you don't have the right clothes to wear, you don't look the part, you also don't always fit in. So I think that as I got older, I could manage through that. But I think that you just kind of feel insecure Mm -hmm. about everything, how I look with what, you know, maybe I don't like my nose. I don't like my hair. I don't, you know, maybe I want to have skinnier thighs. (laughs) I mean, it's, you all just start questioning every part of you, Mm -hmm. right? Nitpicking at all the blemishes and, oh, did I have something to nitpick? You know, I ended up in a car accident. Mm -hmm. There was a lot after that. Well, before we talk about that, and I definitely want to talk about it. um, I think that some of the best advice I've heard on this is, um, nobody thinks about you as much as you think about you. Oh, a hundred percent. And so as long as you keep that in mind that everyone's just thinking about themselves all the time, 
they don't have time to put you in their head and worry about your thighs or your hair or whatever, right? They're, they're just stuck in their own head going, ah, oh, you know, I got this back acne or something, whatever their problem is, you know what I mean? And, and so if you, um, if you just kind of relax and just say, well, it's probably everyone's insecure. Have you ever heard of the Peter principle? I don't think so. Oh, I ran into this a while back. And the more I think about it, the more interesting I think it is. So basically it's everybody gets promoted if they're doing a good job, right? Eventually, okay. right? They all get promoted up to their, to some role. Eventually they end up in a role for which they are no longer qualified. And then everyone everywhere is in a role basically that they're not qualified for. So if you're worried about imposter syndrome, well, don't worry because everyone else also has it for exactly the right reason because they shouldn't be doing the job that they're doing. And I think that kind of helps. I mean, that's the kind of cynical way to think about it, but I think there's a positive way to think about it too. It's like, well, I think everyone's just doing the best they can. Absolutely. And some people probably shouldn't be doing what they're doing. And that's, it's probably most people. Uh, (laughs) And, and that's, that's okay. I mean, society exists despite all that. I think we're just trying to, put our best foot forward. But at the same time, I agree with you. We feel like we're just an emotion, mm-hmm. right? We're just trying to pretend that we've got it all together when we don't always have it all together. So what in this context would you say poverty meant to you? I mean, is it really just clothing? Was it more than that? Um, like how did, how did you, how do you perceive poverty? Sure. This is a funny conversation I had with a friend who also felt like, you know, she grew up with less. So we were laughing about different things that you talk about, you know, like where you got your food from, where you got your clothes from. And usually that meant donated or places that would give you clothes. You know, you'd have a, an HEB version of a, um, a grocery bag and you'd fill it up for a dollar. For those who do no idea what she's talking about, that's a local grocery store. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Your Piggly Wiggly, your (laughs) Trader Joe's. Uh Yeah. Your plastic grocery bag, you'd take as many clothes as you'd put and you'd pay a dollar. Right. Um, or it came for free. You'd go into a center where clothes were donated. And, and I talk about these things not to feel bad for me, but if you've got the opportunity to donate food or donate clothes to places like this, or we talk about, you know, Christmas gifts and school supplies, we've already kind of gone over some of these things. Do donate. I mean, there are families that they need that for sure. And, and we were one of them. But food and clothes, um, places to live, I mean, that was scarce. And I think that as you're young, you don't realize it. But as you get older and you go into those adolescent years, the kind of teenage or middle school years, it is blatantly obvious, right, that you're different. And they've got everything for Christmas. And you got some donated things that maybe weren't on your list as the cool kids, you know, or the cool gifts. So you do start to realize you feel less than, and that's when I think hiding starts. But we had this conversation about what she had or, you know, you know, you're poor when, right. It's that version of that story. And at one point I asked her, but did you have a vehicle? And she said, yeah, we had a whatever car. And I said, okay, well, I think I have you beat on that. My mom, not that I wanted to beat her. It was just fun to talk about, right. but my mom, Poor Olympics. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. That's a great way of putting it. But my mom pulled a wagon, you know, to pull her two kids. And uh, she had three at the time. My older brother would, you know, help. And that was her means of transportation, you know, for a long distance, you know, it'd go for, for a while, but that idea, you know, that you have less. And I think that, um, I don't know, the poor Olympics. I'm going to have to remember mm-hmm. that one for sure. It's a, it's a tough situation, but it makes you more um, grateful when you do have things. And as you're growing up, I think about my son today. He has everything he wants, but I almost want him to have less 
right? Because probably should. He'll never understand. Scarcity is as good. I mean, it teaches you things. Oh, absolutely. When he would have a birthday party, my husband and I would take everything except for two gifts mm. and we'd hide it away in a closet. And then we would just, you know, give it little by little. So he didn't feel like it was, you know, this big Christmas party at his birthday. Right. So that's, that's actually a really tough one, but, um, I know we're such mean parents. I know. Well, no, I actually agree with it though. I mean, I feel like when you hand a kid 800 gifts, they just get bored by the end of it. You know, it's like, ah, oh, there's another gift and throw what's it over next? there. Yeah. What's the next one? I'll throw it. They don't even look at what they're opening anymore, let alone fr- who it's from or what it meant to them. And, and some people, as you said, are not in a particularly great you know, financial situation. So that gift that they gave might mean a lot to them. Absolutely. That, and you just kind of tossed over your sh- shoulder or whatever. Um, so I have to ask, I mean, do, do you think that, I think a lot of people want to blame poor people for being poor on them. Um, and I, I can go both ways on this because, um, I've certainly been in situations where I had very little cash and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Now, granted, I had a lot of things going for me, so it wasn't like I was truly from scratch, but, uh, favorable education probably being a paramount amongst those. But beyond that, um, I also see a lot of people who physically can't for whatever reason, um, or they, they can't because, um, a number of existing hurdles are between them and getting in a better place. Like what, what do you think about that? That's a tough one. I mean, to speak of everyone's circumstances, I mean, uniformly, yeah, it yeah. varies yeah. so greatly. Mm-hmm. I mean, can we say that some people, um, you know, make decisions that put themselves in that position. Sure. I mean, don't we also make decisions, right, that put ourselves um, in questionable circumstance or where they were born into? I mean, there's all these very, I know for us, I think my mom did the best she could. And I think that partly she'd even admit, well, if I had made this decision, I probably wouldn't have ended up in this circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, trusting someone or saying yes to you know, something where she should have said no. But I think for us, I mean, we were in, it was the 1980s. I'm not trying to give my year away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Savings and loan had, you know, crashed. There was, you know, a a form of recession, if you will. Everyone was having a hard time, everyone. So if you were middle-class, you were more poor than you were expecting. And if you were poor, you were destitute. And I think for my mom, the question was, do you want pancakes for breakfast, lunch, dinner with peanut butter or sugar? That was the the menu options, right? And I don't know if everyone has that or if they make decisions, if you will, to go like, you know what, that's the life I want to live. Are there people out there maybe that they enjoy whatever circumstances they want and they stay there? Possibly, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think that it's a decision for the most part for people. I think they would prefer to have something better, you know, if not for themselves, for their kids, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think somewhat to me is like a lack of opportunity mixed with, unfortunately, a lack of education to make the bad decision. You know, they make bad decisions, but it's not their fault per se. They just don't know what the right decision would have been. Um, and then how do you break the mold? Yeah, I, I talked about this on this one other podcast. I can't remember when exactly, but we ran into this one guy and, you know, nice enough guy. We're hardworking, really trying to do good and trying to figure things out and he didn't even know what a check really was. I mean, like, how do you start having a conversation? I mean, he's so behind where he needs to be to be financially literate, let alone about life in general and all this other stuff he has to understand that 
it was a very daunting task. And unfortunately, a mutual friend of uh, the two of ours like, took up the challenge to try to like teach him how to, you know, be be a better version of himself. But uh, if you don't have that kind of mentorship or somebody who's willing to take the time to help you out, where are you going to learn it? You know, and how do you even know to search for it if you've never even heard of a check? You know, right? Yeah. You know. And some people, their version of poor isn't our version of poor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could think of the person next to me and think, oh, well, they should want more, but they might be comfortable and very happy. You know, in whatever circumstance they're in, and think they're rich. They're rich in family. They're rich in community. Right? They have everything they possibly would need. Maybe I would want more. My ambition is a little bit more but it doesn't make them necessarily poor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we go into the whole other topic, which is, you know, the destitute kind of poor. Yeah. Yeah, I don't consider middle class poor, although it's funny, a lot of people are just living one or two paychecks away from total poverty and, and they have a nice house and a dog and a you know car and whatever, and they're just living right on the edge. Um, I think I noticed that most when Hurricane Harvey hit because there was a massive influx of people wearing Gucci and whatever who were also pushing shopping carts around. Um, and you know, you could just get a hotel, uh, but they didn't have the money for that. And their business is literally underwater, (laughs) not figuratively, literally underwater. Um, and so that, that kind of opened my eyes to how frail people's economic situations really are, despite what they look like. Oh, absolutely. Um, my, um, I have a family member that works for the government. So when the government shutdown happened a few years ago, there were no paychecks. Mm -hmm. And she was in a good financial place. She had savings, but many of her coworkers couldn't make groceries. You know, they were about to get kicked out. And that's an eye-opener. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate. Okay. Well, um, so... Talk to me about the car crash. I think that's uh, that's kind of the spark, I think, of this book, really. Um, and um, I think it's in- interesting. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, Robert, yes. it was a nice sunny day. Was it? <laughs> it was. was nice. oh, yeah, okay. it was June, June 9th. I, I feel of, like a... I kind of pictured it as a dark and rainy night. I uh, know. It was a rainy night and I yeah. skid all over. No, wow. it was a nice, bright, sunny day. I was off. I mean, it was it was perfectly fine. No, no big deal kind of day. Mm-hmm. And I um, found myself uh, in San Antonio driving along. I had a friend call me to have spa services. Cool. I'm a little like Pancho Villa. I need to get waxed every <laughs> once in a while. We're being real frank, Robert. I mean, we're... <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know me too. I like it getting bejazzled and the whole thing. Like 43% so. <laughs> Sicilian over here. I need to get a lip waxed every once in a while. <laughs> too comfortable? No, okay. no. Me too. You know, it's really getting out there. Yeah. <laughs> this is just after two days. Oh, gosh. We're in trouble. No, <laughs> um, so I had a friend call me, and but also my boss called and said, hey, we're really struggling. Can you come? come on in. And I turned around uh, because instead of going the direction I was going to the spa service, I realized I don't have any money. Mm. And at the time I needed to cash my check old school, like Mm -hmm. not the debit card. I wasn't that responsible. So I turned around, made my uh, way to the light and a car pulled out in front of me. And um, long story within that, but I ended up going through the windshield and um, poked back in and had quite a bit of damage, you know, to my face. I was airlifted to the hospital and spent a few weeks. Um, I didn't know how much damage, you know, I had. I knew that I broke my ankle. I broke my wrist. 
Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. I went too fast. <laughs> you went way too fast. Sorry. Okay. So first of all, um, so was the car accident. Robert. Yeah, there was a, there was a car accident. Um, so going through the windshield, how far did you go through it? Did you like launch or like peekaboo? Oh, just peekaboo, <laughs> just partly through. Okay. So my head went through the windshield and uh, I came back out. Okay. Came back in. And this was before, I'm assuming, the days of um, airbags and all that other safety stuff. You're trying to date me again, aren't you? Uh, well, it did. I mean, I'm just asking for today's listeners. They'd be confused. No, oh. it's true. Uh-huh. So there was some malfunction. Let's say that. Okay. Um, I don't really talk too much about it because um, I shouldn't. Okay. You know, malfunction with the car, uh-huh. if you will. Um, but yes. Okay. Sounds like the seatbelt failed then. <laughs> whatever you would like to say. I see. All right. Um, okay. I think I put like 18 pieces together there that I probably shouldn't have that quickly. But all right. I got it. Um, NDAs and all that good stuff. So um, it sounds like we should probably talk about just after the crash then. <laughs> well, let's roll back a little bit. Okay. Okay. Right. So I was summer in love. Uh-huh. I had a boyfriend who was like, handsome, green-eyed prince, the love of my life at the moment. We were dating about six months. His name was Tomas. Tomas. Of course it was Tomas. Of course, right? <laughs> Sounds great. And we met at a quinceanera. Okay. Okay, so are you familiar with a quinceanera? I've only been to one. It was pretty spectacular, um, but you go ahead. Okay, so I mentioned I grew up in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I also moved to Chicago. My mom remarried, and... I didn't know what a quinceanera was. My stepdad's family was from San Antonio. So we made our way and moved to San Antonio. And I thought it was so cool. Tacos for breakfast. I mean, who wouldn't mm-hmm. love, right? The river walk and it's romantic. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? Oh, yeah. Fiesta. I mean, there's so many great things about San Antonio. I don't and think I've seen it through your eyes. So I'm going to have to get a list. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, San Antonio had Tomas. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So. So right there. Uh, young and in love, what could go wrong? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, one car accident later, there we have it. Uh-huh. So when I poked through the windshield and I was a mess, I thought for sure this green-eyed prince, he was gone. Hmm. He was going to run for the hills. I mean, people don't stick around today and they divorce for terminal sickness, much less like I was not looking cute. Hmm. I was not going to be the cute girl by his side. And... um it's not what happened to me. I mean, there's a whole nother story. I don't know if I'm still going yeah. too fast. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. But I think um, I was bandaged, you know, a lot on my face when I entered the hospital. I didn't see, um, there's a, a movie where um, Cuba Gooding, he, he comes in and sees his friend who had been damaged, you know, in his face. And he starts freaking out because he sees that his friend is like deformed. And I didn't get to have that. Instead, I could hear people, their gasp. And walk back out of the room. But mm-hmm. I didn't really um, look at their eyes and go, oh, this is real bad. I don't know what it looks like. But your look on your face tells me it's not good. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't know what to do. Because I had lost, you know, a lot of skin um, here. And I, I don't want to be gross with you. But here I was just left with the nostril. And then across my eyes. But they, it was too much for them to just go into surgery and fix it all up. So they just left it. Wow. And just bandaged over it. And I thought... I'm walking out of here like a monster and I don't know what I look like, but it can't be good. And, um, my worst fear really never happened. You know, my community of friends stayed with me. My mom was by my side and Tomas 
the green-eyed, sexy mm-hmm. guy that I was in love with stuck around. And that's where I feel like my love story started. But it didn't go the way I planned. You know, I quickly went into um, what you would call like the dark place. I can imagine. I mean, okay. So how old were you at this time approximately? Come on, just give me a vi- like I a know. decade. Well, now I have, yeah, <laughs> 19. Okay, all right. Um, I mean, that's pretty young for having complex thoughts like these. I mean, generally when you're in your teens, you're not thinking, you know, I'm going to go through some massive life crisis and come out the other side and have someone staying with me for long periods of time through, you know, death and illness and all this stuff. Um, so I'm imagining that did not all just happen right away. I mean, that must've been a a slow cathartic change. Like what, what was for your, like your grieving process, I guess. So I sped through grieving, you know, how people, um, if it's not there, it doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, right. Mm. And I think that after, you know, I had a hospital stay and everything. I talk about it through the book of all that I went through in that community that came around me. But after we left the hospital, it was almost like, if we don't talk about it, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. It's like Hillcrest. If we don't talk about it, it didn't exist. We don't talk about it. We're not poor. We're not less than, doesn't, doesn't matter. Just keep on moving. Right. To some extent that is true. No, uh, it's terrible. I know it is terrible, <laughs> but it is also true. I mean, if, and it's true. Sometimes you have to like get past it. You got fired yeah, from a job. Okay. Yeah. Mourn through it this weekend. And then after that, let's plow through it. It sucks. You don't need to keep thinking about it over and over and over again. You're just going to hurt. It's just wasting cycles. Yes. Let's figure out what to do. Not where we are, where we've been. Well, this was like. That on steroids, just, we're just going to ignore, we just went through the windshield and our life is in chaos. Let's just keep going. We were literally in this chaos cocoon, right? Where everything is happening. What did your family think? Um, My mom thought I would be deformed because the hospital at the time, no one was stepping up to do the surgery. And she thought their, their recommendation or the plastic surgeon, not the hospital so much. I had great care. I promise you. Mm -hmm. But the plastic surgeon was like, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Wow. That can be true. (laughs) But in this case, like I need some skin, Right. right? Yeah. But they thought if I could go home, maybe for a year, redress bandages, you know, every few, um, few times a day. Over the course of a year, hope infection doesn't set in, mm-hmm. hope it all heals, and then come back and let's see what happens because the skin is something, you know, it heals really well. My mom wasn't a believer of that, and I didn't really understand or know what was going on. Maybe I was in this crisis cocoon or just not able to really pull it together. I'm 19. I've never had a broken arm, much less everything that had already happened, mm-hmm. right? So I think my family hoped for the best in front of me with like positive smiles and and great attitudes. But I don't think anyone knew I was in a wheelchair. You know, how are we going to function? My mom was um, an entrepreneur. How are they going to work? Right. Because they're kind of taking care of you at the same time. And doesn't that happen to families? You know, when, when one is down, everybody pulls together, but sometimes that means leaving the job or putting something aside, putting their own goals aside to help. So 19, did I have um, everything figured out? Like the man of my dreams, the truth, when Tomas and I met, I thought this was the guy I was going to marry. I was more than in love. Like this was my soulmate. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to believe at 19, but I really felt, and I think both of us, but I thought for sure this accident's going to 
It's going to change it. If I was insecure and I could look on the wall, you know how your family puts up beautiful pictures on the wall? Mm. If I could put Not the, of me, but No, of, of course people. you are. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're looking at yourself, and you know how we're, we critique, we talked about it earlier. We're just so, you know, we're just not always happy, right? But if we could critique that, how could I change this? Mm. There's no way. So for me, when I looked in the mirror after I returned home, I wish I didn't live past the accident. I wish that the accident just, yeah, wiped it out, wiped it clean. My family didn't have to deal with it. I didn't have to deal with it, right? And I didn't have to go through this dark side. So the time, it was six months that I was in the wheelchair and six months of a fast recovery. So describe that for a second. What what about your body was uh, needing a wheelchair? Was it your, your uh, ankle? It was both. So I had... Um, I had pins placed here, which made it difficult to crutch around mm. and screws in my ankle. I see. And I actually was issued out a, it's called a gutter crutch where your arm sits on one, mm-hmm. um, like a, it fastens to here and then you're supposed to crutch around. That's impossible. Mm. I could hardly use that arm. So instead I was given a wheelchair. Um, uh, it's just terrible. Um, it's just awful. Like that's a really terrible situation. I mean, cause you, I mean, you're otherwise amiable, you know, you can otherwise move around. You could hop on one foot, but you know, for how long? And right? no one would let me cause they thought, no, 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 we don't need to go back to the hospital. Right. We no just spent stitches and all that stuff. Right. Look at her face. She falls mm-hmm. on her face. Then what? Mm-hmm. So I went home. Uh, what's, well, I don't know if I should ask you, what's your favorite restaurant? Your nicest favorite restaurant? Oh, I've got so many. You mean nice or favorite? Because those things are okay, so different. It is different. <laughs> Granted, it's different. Uh, Nicest restaurant. Um, hmm, that's a good celebratory. Um, well, like Red Ash in town is pretty nice. Have you okay. ever been there? No, but I'll be eating um, there later. Thank it's, you for uh, that. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty nice restaurant. Um, if you don't mind carbs, they have got some amazing. I could take in some carbs. High carb. Uh, food there so <laughs> okay do they serve steak or fish okay yeah, yeah. do they wrap their lemon in like that nice yellow cloth i don't know? recall the lemon off the top of my head but i would not be surprised if they had okay lemon. you're yeah. familiar what i'm yes, talking about right yes, it looks it's threaded and it's so cute so you don't accidentally get a single seed in your food yes. oh my goodness yes that sounds terrible yes <laughs> so imagine that stuck on my nose right here and threaded to my face when i arrived home why I had a skin graft because finally I did have a plastic surgeon who says, sure, we'll, we'll try it out. Was it a literal lemon or just the shape of a lemon? Just looked like a half a lemon, Uh, just uh. yellow right there with the same fabric gauze that you would think of at a restaurant, Mm. just fabriced or stitched to my face. Mm. And then they pulled together this, um, across my eyebrows and I looked, you know, a little bit like that for a while Mm. and sent me home. And that's what I kept looking at secretly because no one would let me look at a mirror but that's what I started looking at in the mirror what was the first look what, what did you think I wanted to die you know that's terrible it's like Oprah you're making me cry no <laughs> no I'm not trying to anyway um but that's terrible yeah I think um I don't get emotional when I talk about it because of myself I'm sad for that girl because if she did accomplish that how many memories sitting here with you today? How many memories would I wipe out? Well, that might be a good one to wipe out. Um, but <laughs> no, the laughs we had even before the show started. Are you kidding, Robert? But think about that. People, when they're in their darkest moments, they, they can only focus on today. 
and how hard it is and how terrible it is, but they don't think about tomorrow because we can't think about tomorrow. We don't want tomorrow, right? And sometimes our friends have to help us find the tomorrow, our, maybe our parents, you know, in this case, all of the above. For me, it had to be them inviting me to a movie, right? Going shopping, finding a reason or excuse to, well, I'll stick around for one more day, mm-hmm. right? Then one more until it became easier. But I think going back to the hiding that we were talking about when I was younger, we want to hide or we want to forget the pain. But when we do that and we don't talk about it, then it doesn't make it easier. It makes it more difficult because we're just harboring it inside, right? But we think, I just want to be normal. I don't want you to know I'm depressed or I'm in a dark place or that I you know, thought about um, if my life could end. Because then you would think that I'm less than or maybe that was too vulnerable, right? Or what would you say? You don't know how to say it. So I don't want to make you uncomfortable. So I won't talk about it. And I think that that a lot of times is that depression that goes through that dark spot, right? But if I could tell you, then maybe you could help me today get to tomorrow. I don't need you to get me through the rest of my life. I just need to get there until it becomes easier. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's sad for me to think about the girl who wanted it all gone because man, oh, I've had such a great life. You know, mm. I have a beautiful son today. I've had so many great memories. I wouldn't have known what Hawaii looks like, speaking of Hawaii, mm-hmm. <laughs> or traveled the world. I wouldn't have any of those memories. But when you're in that dark moment, that's hard to even think, oh, well, sure, I could have a family. It doesn't really work like that. So let's say you ran into another girl just like you back then. What would you, what would you have told that Hang person? Hang on. Hang on. Not every day is not easy, but it's worth living. And you're worth everything. Just hang on Mm. and tell someone, find someone to come with you on the journey, making it by yourself. You, it, I'm not saying you can't, but it's real hard. It's real hard. And I think this was the, the dark side that I never wanted to reveal about my life, whether it was Hillcrest, you know, the, the thing that maybe somebody doesn't want to hear about, like, I was so poor. My mom had to give me up. Or I was, you know, so damaged that I didn't want to live past the, the reflection in the mirror, right? I didn't want these scars, you know? We complain about, like, we talked about um, being overweight, you know? But can we just be okay with ourselves just as we are? If we're overweight, unemployed, poor, right? We don't have enough followers on Instagram. Can we just be okay? And can we, if we're okay, can we help the person that's across from us that isn't okay? So, I mean, I've, I've definitely run across a number of people who uh, are in a position where they are clearly upset and I can tell that people around them are not taking care of them. And it's just a matter of finding the time and finding the energy. And I think... I think people don't know what to do. You know, when someone comes up and they say, I'm having trouble. um, I think most people have absolutely no idea what to do with that information. They don't know how to help or they see something incredibly stupid, like get over it or whatever, you know. Gotta love that. Um, Well, but I I actually No, I understand. I don't think it comes from a bad place exactly. Never. Um, Never. Yeah, I'm not going to say never. I I think some people are hostile towards any sort of emotion. But I think most people have good intentions. They just don't know what to do. Right. So what do you think people should be doing 
um, if that they're not already doing with their friends? I think, you know, to, to I'm not a psychologist, right? No, I'm, I, not, I'm not accusing you of one. No, no, no I'm saying <laughs> I'm, I'm not a therapist. And I, I feel like if you were to come to me today, I wouldn't have those tools. I mean, I think we can agree on that, right? But I think that we think we have to solve that person's problem. Um, and I apologize. I didn't mean like, I'm not a psychologist. That wasn't a, <laughs> I'm not an attorney disclaimer. But we we expect that for our friend, we immediately have to have the tools of a psychologist or therapist to say the right thing. We don't. Sometimes the right thing, you know, I talk about in the book a few um circumstances that happened with friends that were positive, you know, a friend who brought a blanket to cheer up my room, uh, someone who saw stained blood, you know, cuticles and came the next day with red, you know, polish to, to mask it. And I didn't do that to give a shout out to them. Like, Hey, thanks. You meant a lot to me. It was to help you understand that whatever you can do, you don't have to say the right thing. And I think Tomas, you know, somebody who lives with scars, they don't just go away magically, Mm -hmm. you know? I always say they're like an arranged marriage. I didn't choose them, but they're here and I, I've grown to love them. And Tomas has also grown to understand that sometimes I have bad days and it, it doesn't go away. Just as I can't scrub this off, those bad days, they'll creep back up and I have to keep that at bay. But instead of him trying to solve my problem, like, let me make you happy. Mm. I'm here to be your jester or right? The, the clown in your life to go like, no, everything's great. Live today. Instead, just be there for them let's go see a movie. I don't want to see a movie. Okay, then let's just hang out here, right? Spend time with them. Just be present for them. Don't feel like you have to solve their problem or be their therapist. Hopefully they're doing that and that therapy looks different for everyone, but just being present, right? And don't say stupid stuff like, ah, get over it. Well, people really don't know. I've... No, no. Or like, don't talk about it. It'll go away. That's a that's a very common one, which is kind of similar to what you were saying earlier. If you just don't talk about it, it will go away. Yeah, but don't tell people not to think about it. <laughs> like, that's not so good. But sometimes uh, you think your friend doesn't want to talk about it. And they may say, I don't want to talk about it. But maybe I want to talk about it because I want you to talk. tell me about how you're feeling. Can you give me a little bit about how you're feeling so I can better understand you? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes... I may not bring it up with you because if I talk about my scars with you, now you're looking at my scars and now I'm insecure and now I'm upset, right? But sometimes I want you to ask because I want to talk about the journey that I went through. And once I start talking about it, I feel stronger, the opposite of what I thought I was going to feel, right? And I think that's okay. It's okay to talk about it. So what were some bad uh, pieces of advice you got through that process? Because I'm sure you got plenty of positive. Were there any stand out anyone say anything that was just oh man this no. person's such an idiot i wrote about a couple yeah. circumstances okay. um can you give me one there was a gentleman who um i went to go get my nails done afterward and my mom thought this is going to be a great time for you to feel pampered and beautiful whatever that meant i'm sitting in a wheelchair i don't want people to see me but she very nicely brought me in to get my nails done and there was a, a older woman um, crying. I could hear some moaning in the background. So as I turned over my shoulder, I could see that her mom was comforting her. And, um, I looked back at him. We're about the same distance. And he said that, um, she looked at your face and you made her cry. And I thought, no, I, I didn't hear that. That's not, <laughs> certainly that's wow. not what he said. And I asked, I'm sorry, what? Cause yeah, surely it was something else. It's just Change, change what you just said. <laughs> and he went on to repeat it. Oh. 
And I've had other people that said, like, when are you going to fix your face? Or, you know, just comments that they, they're so flippant. They don't really think about what they're saying or how that could affect someone. You know, if I saw a scar wherever it was and just said, what happened to you? Are you burned? Because that's what people have said. You know, are you burned? And that's okay. It's, it's okay to be inquisitive. It's okay to ask questions. I wouldn't want anyone to think they can't approach and, and ask, but maybe with gentleness or mm-hmm. in a way that is, um, makes the person feel like you want to better understand them mm-hmm. and not say things like, I hope you fix your face. Well, I can't fix it. It's there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so out of curiosity, how would you have preferred someone talk uh, ask you about your face? Is there a magical way to oh, ask? I wish. Is there a, ma- well, because. No, it's I mean, a good question. I mean, as much as like, um, like I've run into situations uh, with transgender, um, I guess women in this context, um, where it's sort of like you have a series of questions you want to ask, but like, how do you start that conversation in a way that isn't extremely uh, offensive? And so I was curious if there's any. Oh, so I'd have to practice. So if Uh maybe I saw like, hey, I noticed a whisper of a scar on your face. Uh (laughs) (laughs) How do you gently, um, would you mind sharing your story? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, is there a perfect way? I think it depends on the circumstance. Like you were just saying, like, how do you nudge into that? It's like asking someone what they do, which I can't stand that question because it's like, well, do you want to know a bank account statement like why they do. They, if you could provide that they would maybe <laughs> but instead like hey what's your expertise in you know what are you an expert in or anything that was a different version of that so it's like I want to get to know you not like hey tell me about right mm-hmm. I don't know how do we get to maybe we need to woo people a little, little bit more instead of just going right in and like hey what's up with that I mean, I often, quite often people will show up with like a broken finger or foot or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, what happened? You know, you're okay. You know, one of those. And I think they take it exactly the way I mean. It was like, are you all right? Do you, do you need anything? Like what happened? You know, whatever. But when it's something that's clearly distant in the past, it's, I don't know. It seems sort of different, you know, like it's a soft spot. Yeah. Yeah. There's this, uh, this girl who I know fairly well. She had a dog bite her face and it's not like a long-term thing. It's a pretty big gash, but she'll be fine. Um, but then the, so I'm like, Hey, what happened? You know, are you okay? You know, one of those. And I could tell she was very embarrassed by it for no reason, really. I mean, it's just, she's going to be fine. Um, but you know, still a blemish and you know, everyone's very, you know, forward about their looks or whatever. And then a couple of days later, she got another bite by the oh. same dog, uh, you know, just playing around, you know, one of those, you know, accidental things, but again, another Nick and, uh, I'm like dog again. <laughs> She's like, yep. So I think there is, um, you know, I think that only works because I knew her and Maybe. she, she doesn't, she doesn't think that I'm trying to say something about her negatively. I'm like, Oh, are you okay? What happened to you? A trip or something or one of right. those, you know, I wouldn't have guessed dog, but you know, that's why I asked the question. Cause you cared about her or you just yeah. curious. And sometimes it's just curiosity. Well, uh, 
I'm always suspect when I see women with any blemishes on their face that looks like an injury to make sure that there isn't something else going on. So that's my polite way of saying, do I have to go find somebody? (laughs) Maybe you go at it a different way. Like, who did you beat up? (laughs) And I bet they look a lot worse. Uh I don't know. There's, is there a gentle answer? You know, I don't think there is. And I think every circumstance is different. And some people, they enjoy talking about it especially when someone really like you, you cared, you really wanted to know that they were safe. Mm-hmm. But I think some are just curious and it just fills their mind. I don't know. And I'm, I, that's the, that's the, what do you do for a living? Yeah. But see, I, so, uh, you ask people uh, what man, they do for man, a Well, many people do not like this question and I'll tell you why I do like this question. I actually don't care about the answer to this question at all. I'll ask people what they do. They say whatever it is. And then I, the next question is the one I actually care about is, how much do money it? do you make? <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> Again, I see your bank account number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it is, do you like that? Oh, okay. Do you enjoy your job? Yeah. Because that I enjoy because very frequently it'll be like, uh, and then you're like, oh, okay, there's a huge conversation here. Yes. And now we're having an interesting conversation I care about. Or they'll go, yeah, I really love it. It's amazing. I'm like, oh, that's also interesting. What, what's, what's got you? What's so interesting about that job? I don't treat it like I want to know their bank account. I treat it like I'm getting to know them as a person. And so that's very different. Maybe you can give me a little more slack when you hear me asking people. I have a feeling (laughs) the next time you go to a social, you're going to be asking, so what's your expertise? (laughs) I, I think that to be fascinated and I am, sometimes you go into a conversation with someone and you can get little glimpses of what they do and you're like, Ooh, you're an engineer and I want to hear more, Mm -hmm. but you can't ask more until they tell you more. And so Mm -hmm. you jump right in and you say, what's your expertise in, right? Or Mm -hmm. what do you do for a living? But there are times where you're in a conversation and it's the immediate question. What do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. That, the only reason I don't like that question aimed at me is it's too complicated to answer. I'm like, Oh, I mean, I do a million things. Like I've got the job and the podcast and this and that, whatever I got like starting companies and this and that. It just takes forever to explain it. And I know that they don't want to hear it. And so I just, my friends keep telling me I should just lie. Uh, <laughs> one, one, of, one of my buddies, uh, he drives a pretty nice car. It's kind of old car, but it's super like, you know, pimp my ride sort of deal. You okay. know. Uh, but he, he went to jujitsu and these guys are like, well, what do you do, man? Like what are you driving this crazy car around? He's like, he couldn't think of anything better to ex- it's like, I'm not going to explain this crazy backstory of years and years of being a hacker. He's like, I'm a drug dealer. Oh, like, oh, perfect. Cool. And, and that's what he told them. And I'm like, you did what? And sure enough, uh, he said that got him off their back and they, it's more plausible. And it ended the conversation. They never asked any more questions. They weren't curious. <laughs> I, I think that's hilarious because it does feel like, well, are you asking the question because you're trying to determine if you want to stick around and hang out with me a little mm-hmm. bit longer or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm low yeah. man on the totem pole, so you don't care. Yeah, I yeah. did have a friend who is an executive for Disney. And so when she go to social parties, if she said anything of that nature, they'd inevitably ask for mm-hmm. tickets, access, oh, everything, really? not park related, but like, can I get a audition or can I get a job? Really? So so what she would that say would never is, even occur to me. No, it, and I <laughs> when she explained it, I understand. But she would start telling people like, "Oh, our family owns a series. I think she said Pet Boys. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about oil changes, <laughs> right?" Well, I mean, I think you should go with that. Yeah, Pet Boys. I got it. I own Trader Joe's. I started it. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, um, so. Tell me a little bit about the process of writing the book. Um, So you did this all on pen and paper. How long did that take? Well, 
forever. Uh-huh. No, I think um, I actually. I mean, I could imagine <laughs> it would take a while to write that specific book. No, know? I'm grateful. I had, so Akila Mendez Valdez, we collaborated on this and she had a very tight timeline. I wrote it in six months with her. Oh, that's her. fast. Mm-hmm. The editing process if you actually go through the editing process, which I did several times and we beta tested it with a group. Um, wow. I know it was so great mm-hmm. and it was more homework, right? They're like, Oh no, go rewrite that. <laughs> and it was good feedback. They wanted to know about different characters and those stories maybe weren't my own. It was like asking about, you know, one that was introduced and they need to write their own book. Right. I, I don't have the liberty of offering that story, but the editing process is something because you hint at certain things, not intentionally. You just thought, oh, well, this is what I did. Well, tell me more about that. Well, no, I don't want to tell you more about that. Because then you're diving deeper into family dynamic or things of the history of your past that you don't want to talk about. And I think that was probably the most challenging in the book was talking about things that I was ready to and thinking I was ready to, but maybe through the editing process, trying to pull out deeper. But it's, it's like saying, I don't feel special but why don't you feel special? So I think I do agree when people say it's not for the weary. It really is a journey. Um, and it was almost like I had to relive through some of those moments. I was going to ask you a question about that. When you said you didn't realize how young you were when you went to um, the home, did that... I, I always wonder if pe- when people have a complete redo of their brain where it's like, my memory is faulty. And it's not just faulty like... I thought their name was Allison. It's actually, you know, Janine or something. It's like, I wasn't even there at this time of my life. Like this, you got it off by like half a decade or something. That's not a minor difference, right? You, you envision yourself as taller and, you know, having, you know, more thoughts, more complicated thoughts, et cetera. You've just inserted false memories somehow through your life, you know, as you, as you evolved. What did you feel like when you actually realized like, wow, that wasn't correct? So my, you're saying about the, um, Hillcrest, like I thought I was older because I I thought those memories are of a more mature, maybe I was six or eight. Mm -hmm. My husband has very little memories of when he's little. He can't believe that I have memories from when I was like four or younger and I have specific, you know, memories or I'll ask my mom, Hey, this happened. Like there was a, um, a story in the book that happened where my mom got in a fight and I remember the fight, but I don't know why she got in the fight. So part of the question to her was, this fight, remember that fight? It happened. Why did it happen? So then she recounts, I have the memory, but I only have my part of that memory, right? But it almost becomes core because you're processing it over and over. But it is true that sometimes you're like, the house was bigger, the house was smaller. I was older, I was younger. Sometimes they don't connect because you're too young to put all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Pieces. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> Wait. You can write a book like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is, it's true that you don't put all the pieces together, but you know, and you remember certain things because you constantly processed it. Right. And it became core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've only had a couple of memories that were kind of vaguely like that, but I've definitely heard of other people having, they really Trauma does that. They were, yeah, well, for sure. But they were convinced something really traumatic happened ah. in this very specific way, and it, it just didn't happen. And and in one case I'm thinking of off the top of my head, this woman really believed this tr- very traumatic thing happened. And then later on, there was a, a video that someone had, had produced that, you know, it was long dead, you know, VHS tape under someone's oh. whatever, and they popped it in to show, like, the event, the very event that she thought was very traumatic. And it turned out it was completely benign. Because she... she- 
felt so connected with the story she associated herself with it, right? Well, luckily for me, mine's collaborated. Like I, <laughs> you know, I did. I sat down with my mom, my sister. Um, my brother is schizoparanoia, Eddie. We talk about him inside the book. Oh, um, no so fun. sitting down with him and asking questions, you know, it doesn't really work like that. And you're drumming up memories that, you know, for him is really hard. But luckily for me, um, we actually got to travel to New Orleans, sit down and have, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with old friends that I mentioned in here and get their version of that story. Mm-hmm. Did you get to meet the person with whom you had the accident? I've never met the person. Uh huh. Is that something that's on your? I think it's really interesting. Um, you can I share a story? Of course. <clears throat> I mean, that's literally why you're here. I know, <laughs> but I've never shared this part of the story. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble. Oh, well. Change names, dates, locations. <laughs> Absolutely. So I don't harbor any. I mean, it is an accident, and I talk about this in here. It is an accident. I mean, I could have been, the rules could have been switched, right? I do think that circumstances lead one to the other and it could have well been me or my family member that had this. I'm not sure why, you know, she never came up to the car. Um, She never came to the hospital. Um, I actually never knew what she looked like until about 14 years later, I was doing a charity concert and they found footage, the news station that they did of the accident. Wow. I know. How weird. It was so dramatic. So for the first time with the host, I'm looking at the camera and, excuse me, the screen and watching. Wait, how many people were at this thing? Well, it wasn't at the concert. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm like, woof. Forget, you're so literal. <laughs> so No, I was just picturing like 800 people like watching this horror. <laughs> I was asked by a friend to come and do a talk show, like to promote my concert that okay. I was doing for a benefit. Okay. All right. I'm and glad I, re- I'm glad sorry. I asked. I was picturing something else. I know. No, horrible. <laughs> but the host was watching it and she's literally saying like, Christina, how do you feel when you're seeing this? And all I kept thinking in my head is that's who who she is. It's her. I'm seeing her for the first time. I'd always imagine what does she look like just because we'll forever be connected. It would be like going to camp and having such a great time at camp and you ha- you meet a best friend, but then you never meet them again or see them again. And you just want to see them. You have this connection. Mine was a little bit more dramatic connection, but I was seeing her for the first time. I could hardly talk. And then she kind of snapped me out. Well, fast forward and we're writing this book and here I am again, my curiosity, like Google, nothing. Well, I find a mutual connection and lo and behold, um, there was an, a photographer who did an artistry, a thousand and one faces. And she took a picture of my husband and a thousand other more faces. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a commem- com- I can't say that, say commemorative. That commemorative, um, poster that was made of, um, call it 50 faces. Well, I think I don't know this, but I actually think on this photo of all these faces, including my husband's picture, is her son that's hanging in my husband's office. How do you know? Are you following? Yes. Why her son? Why do you think that? Because when I look on Facebook of who I think it is, Mm, I see. She's pictured with a gentleman who we have like, you know, San Antonio, probably like Austin, Mm -hmm. so many connections. I actually realized I see a picture of him holding a card that's similar to my husband's thousand and one faces. And then I go to my husband's office, see the poster. And there he is Mm. for 10 years in my husband's office. Isn't that nuts? Weird. You think I'm crazy. 
well, I think you are crazy, but I like that kind of crazy. Um, but do you... I've never met either of them. Why not? Why not? And uh, I think he might be my age. I don't know. Maybe they're scared of me. No, why not reach out to them? Because maybe that's too forward. I am. I can be. But maybe that's too forward. Maybe. Okay. Or maybe it would be amazing and interesting and... You're going to have all of us on the <laughs> I would. That would be amazing. Uh, but Anyway, I, I really do, truly, truly, don't have any hard feelings. You know, I... Well, I'm, I'm glad about that. But it would still be interesting to... What was their life like? What was their life like? Mm-hmm. What were they going through? No, of course, I want to know. I mean, that must have been like traumatic for them as well, I would I imagine. Know. I would imagine. I mean, in so much as that they didn't even want to go see the horror. I mean, that, that must have been something that... They looked in the rear mirror and, you know, yeah, I, I see occasionally like someone will, you know, run somewhere over in a crosswalk or something like that. Oh. Like what would their life be like afterwards? I mean, I mean, even if you somehow got away scot-free legally, I mean, just. You're carrying, no, I would imagine it changes around. you. Yeah. There's also, so in the video. Um, oh, this is available on YouTube. This is so salacious. <laughs> I know. There's a gentleman who. <clears throat> Ran across the street, took off his shirt, and put it to my face because I was like Carrie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the gentleman who went and collected my things after, who's a good friend of mine, said that he picked up my shoe and poured out, you know, the blood because there was so much everywhere, like tea, right? And this gentleman, he's in the video, shirtless. You can tell. I have no idea who he is. Mm. Another mystery. I know. I know. So all these connections. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess for me, I would want to. I would want to just, you know. I do. I would. I mean. Well, then why not? Why not try? How, well. I mean, not in his case, just because he would be hard to find. But yes, the, the, girl, the mystery shirtless guy. Mystery no shirtless idea. Guy. Right. Hey, guy, if you were running across the street from the restaurant <laughs> over to my car, thank you so much. You stopped mm-hmm. the bleeding. You know, mm-hmm. I appreciate you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But the family, um, I would just want to say, like, it's Okay. I'm okay. It's okay. We're all okay. Wow. That's a pretty interesting story right there. So what did that kind of leave you with? What was sort of the taste in your mouth after that whole thing was over? And you, you know, this person, you know, that they're kind of walking around and living their lives. Is that, is that hard or did you? In the beginning, you know, in the hospital, I did ask my mom, like, why didn't she come? Like, did she not care about me? And I think that was the thought as a young girl of like, well, they just, she doesn't care. I'm not worth caring for, right? But I think I quickly got over feeling like, you know what, my recovery and everything I was going through wasn't her. And my mom, you know, as I mentioned, she's very resilient. Wasn't there an insurance claim with the person's name on it or anything or... I don't know. Are you familiar with Texas liability? We can go into a whole, you know, minimum insurance. You know, there is a whole conversation uh, about that. Interesting. Yes. Okay. I am not a gazillionaire. <laughs> now, the lady who put a coffee between her. Yes. 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 Owning That's half a whole, of McDonald's. Yes, exactly. I think she's owns all the McDonald's in Dubai. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, no, and I, yes. Huh. Okay. Well, um, so a couple things that we wanted to talk about that I think would be interesting is <clears throat> somewhere along the lines, you went from being totally suicidal to being happy. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of first, I'd like to know that kind of what it didn't sound like it's an overnight thing, but it did sound you did it pretty quickly. And so how did you do that? 
Um, like what was the kind of mental process you went through? So about a year and a half later, um, Tomas and I said, I do. Tomas. Of course it's Tomas. It's mm-hmm. always Tomas. <laughs> <laughs> we got married. And so there was no time for, you know, being depressed and thinking about, you know, what you look like. We were in love. And then everything started falling apart. Really? I, yes. Not because there was anything wrong. I mean, I should have been perfectly happily in love. I mean, I got the happy ending, if you will. But now I was out of the wheelchair. There was no wedding plans or things to distract me, no friends to come pick me up. Now I was trying to live my life normal or Mm. whatever that meant. And I started to um, take more time getting out of bed. And, you know, Tomas was a teacher at the time. I'd put myself together before he got home so he wouldn't know I was totally falling apart. I'd never fallen apart before. I couldn't even tell you that I was falling apart. apart. I just knew that I wasn't okay. And um, I would, when all the silence would happen in the night, he'd fall asleep and I would cry myself to sleep. And I thought he was sleeping. And one night he asked the big question, are you okay? And I wasn't okay. And I couldn't hide it anymore. I couldn't hide it from him. I couldn't hide it from anyone. I was literally falling apart. I then went to therapy. I, you know, um, consistently, because I couldn't keep a job. I couldn't go back to school. You know, in the middle of this, when I was 19, I was going to college. There's no college. You know, going to campus in a wheelchair, that was difficult. I talk about that in the book. But there was no more normal. I didn't have a a goal in life. I didn't have a mission. I got married and now I'm this broken girl that was trying to act like I had it together. No different than when I was growing up. Nobody needs to know, right, about the shattered pieces. If I could just hide them. What you're doing there. (laughs) (laughs) Only with you, Robert. (laughs) But I was trying to hide them and I felt like I was doing a good job, but I really wasn't because I was truly falling apart. And I think that Most people who go through depression, you know, I I can't speak for everyone, but I would think that it kind of creeps up on you. It's not like, oh, hey, I'm depressed and I need medication. I don't think it happens like that. And sometimes we don't even want to address it. And you said the S word. I don't even like to think like, oh, I thought about suicide or I thought about ending my life. It's hard even to say those words because it feels so foreign. It feels like a departure because I do think it is a departure from who you are, who you're meant to be. It's just what you're going through and you can't get out of it. You can't just snap out of it. Nobody's going to have a good talk and say, hey, what's wrong with you? Get over it. And poor Tomas, he had to, you know, go through that process with me. Why didn't you kill yourself? Well, I felt like I'd disappoint my family. I'm a people pleaser. Mm. Really? Yeah. Um, And my mom placed me right outside of my, my mom's bedroom was a sitting room and she placed me right there. And I always wondered, maybe she knew what I would be capable of if I was put back into my bedroom. At the time I was living with roommates because I was going to college, but I had my old room. And magically I didn't go back to my old room. Could they have put a hospital bed in my room? Because I needed to be elevated. I needed a lot of help. Sure. And she always said it was because of the convenience factor, right? I could be helped. I needed help going to the restroom. I needed, I needed help for everything. But I do think that she was kind of my angel watching over me and making sure. But I also thought I needed to please everybody. I needed to be here and be present. And like I mentioned before, there was always someone trying to come and pick me up and make sure that I had something. Okay, one more day. I guess I'll stick around. Okay, so-and-so is calling for a movie. I'll stick around. 
tomorrow. Okay, one more day. And those days led to months and then here I am. But not without somebody, someone's urging, right? Well, at some point you have to become self-propelled. So when did that, when do you think that happened? Was there an epiphany or you just, just kind of wore off or? No, I think that, um, so I had several surgeries. Each surgery kept pushing me backwards. So every time I had to look at the girl in the mirror with the really, really angry scars, really, really redness, right? I kept seeing the monster, what I felt like I looked like in the mirror. And I'm not saying, I don't want to give the wrong impression that I think just because somebody has a scar on their face or has some kind of deformity, they're a monster. It's what I felt like I looked compared to what I knew myself to be. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, how can I do this? But I don't know if I was that clever. Maybe I was naive to actually make that thought the reality, but nobody left me alone. Mm -hmm. So I don't have time to um, calculate a plan if nobody, you know, won't leave me alone. I mean, I was they are with someone all the time. Mm. And the very few times is actually when I was able to see myself in the mirror. But I think eventually, it's not that it wears off. It's like the arranged marriage. Eventually, this is who I am. We're sticking together. And I kind of like tomorrow. Like, I kind of want to go out with you. I want to go shopping, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, there's a a function. I kind of want to go to the function. Okay, something to live forward to, something to enjoy, the laughter, the memories. They just kind of started speeding up, right? Well, it seems like that's kind of what your mom was trying to do, although it totally backfired, was the, you know, the getting your nails done. You could look forward to it, despite the fact that you were probably not ready to be going out. Um, You can now picture yourself going out. You can now, I've done it. And next time it'll be a little easier, a little easier, a little easier kind of gets you past that point. <clears throat> it's one of the biggest problems I think with a lot of people who are shut-ins. It's 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 inertia. They just get stuck. And as soon as you get them out of the house just a little bit, then it's a little easier the next time, yeah. a, little, a little easier. It's I think, you know, I looked at my car. My car was actually brought to my house. And my car sat in the garage and when there was no one looking, snuck in the garage, and I could see it was like a crumpled mess. Everything was everywhere, the metal, I could see the hole, I could see my eyelashes still in the glass. And I looked at it and thought, this car destroyed me. It was destroyed and it destroyed me. And now look at me, right? But by the time I had taken steps to realize I don't, I don't want to stay in. I don't want to live like a recluse. I wanted to enjoy life like everyone else was doing. I just don't love people looking at me, but maybe if the scars would soften, so would my heart. But I think once I realized that car, it took the beating. I mean, to the point of death, like it was done. And I was alive to tell the tale. There had to be a reason, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So maybe someone in my circumstance that was going to help get them. You know, I had this community that was unrelenting. Unrelenting. Thank you. (laughs) Tongue twister, excuse me. (laughs) But they wouldn't give up and they helped me find tomorrow. But as we're talking about those that are shut in or they don't come out, they don't have the community because no one knows that they're going through what they're going through. I'm not saying they're going to pick up the book, you know. They should. Maybe if someone shared that story, they could feel like, okay, I could just tell someone my story. Maybe today I'll feel better and tomorrow will be easier. But I think the focus is tomorrow. 
It isn't today. Today sucks. You know, it's hard. It doesn't always feel like it's, you know, worth living for. But tomorrow there's something coming, you know. I feel like I'm making you sad. No, well, well, a little bit, but um, it's been a rough month. <laughs> <laughs> but th- I think I think your story is still inspiring. Um, how did college work with all of this? Like, was it the logistics of, I mean, did you just drop out at that point? Like, that's no more for me or what, what happened? I gave it a good try. So my accident happened in June. Mm-hmm. And by August, um, classes were starting back up. I was going to be a music therapist. Music therapist. I know. Okay. I thought, you know, music, you know, someone could have um, dementia or another illness and couldn't, um, weren't verbal, um, but they could sing a song and remember, you know, from years ago, something that music brought people to a higher place, a different, you know, connection. And I was just full of dreams. So I was going to a community college when this happened. And I thought after the accident, what actually is my mom, what better way to keep you, you know, preoccupied, let's get you back in school Mm. in a wheelchair with an arm that didn't really move this side, the other side. And I just felt defeated. I mean, I couldn't get through. It was before there were a lot of um, accessible doors, you know, electronic, um, easy access ramps and elevators. And I just felt like, I was managing through a campus and I was feeling very alone and very defeated. And so it took really one visit back to campus for school. And I thought, I can't, I didn't want people looking at me. I was done. And so I actually, my mom helped me get a job um, with our church administrator, Trudy. And I talk about her in there because she'd pick me up every day, put the wheelchair in her car. I didn't need a wheelchair. I could be on the floor file. I mean, I could use my brain still. I, I still could be a functioning person. Mm-hmm. I did have talent. I just didn't know until someone helped me really find that and, and put it to use. And she helped me. That was the part that I talked about, you know, really just finding tomorrow, something to wake up to. And every day I didn't want to wake up. Some days I would just try to make an excuse and say, I'm tired or I don't feel good. We all have friends like that, right? Which, which is probably true, but it didn't matter. You got to do it. No, they pushed me right out the door. <laughs> Brush your Sayonara. teeth, you're out. And we laugh about what pictures look like back then. I kind of looked, that's about all I did was brush my teeth, you uh-huh. know, and walk out the door. Um, but that was all part of it. I always wanted to go back to college. As a matter of fact, um, I re-enrolled in college right before I went through probably the biggest part of my depression um, after Tomas and I got married. And, um, there it was again, I had slipped classes. I couldn't make it on time. I had such goals, but it wasn't, it wasn't in the cards. Tell me about Tomas. He's so great. <laughs> he still is great. He's still great. But how did he, how did he process all this? I mean, I know you can't speak for him exactly, but. I, I mean, I imagine Tomas is the ultra optimist. I always say he's like the cup of coffee that wakes up in the morning, like music blaring. Everything is so positive. I mean, I could find everything wrong and he's like, oh, but look, everything is so great. He's just such a positive, you know, person that if he has a bad day, you're like, wait, what? (laughs) Something must really be wrong. (laughs) Really? Or if he comes across someone, he's like, I'm not sure about that person. You're like, what? Mm. So for sure you take whatever he says, but he's just such a good person but he walked through it with me, you know? Um, Why? Why did he do that? He was in love with me, Robert. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have such wit. No, uh-huh, I don't uh-huh. I honestly, I would say to this day, he can tell me whatever he thinks of why. And I still 
will never get it. Mm. Every once in a while, I'll tell them, like, I don't understand why you're with me. I'm crazy. I mean, I, when you have someone. I'm, I'm crazy, <laughs> too. I know you're crazy, but, you know. You're like, I know you're crazy. I can but, tell you because I'm crazy. <laughs> but, it, but it's true when you think of, like, all the things I've had to put them through. And it's not like, you know, once you're finished with the cereal box, it goes in the trash, it's done. No, this is an ongoing work. I didn't write a book because I, like, solved all the mystery and I've got it all together. I'm still working that out. I have a message to carry, but I'm still working that out. And he sticks around. But I, um, I don't know. He just, he's a great, he's funny. He's, I mean, he's always going to be my green eyed prince. We celebrate 23 years. He gets me. I don't have to say anything. And he, he doesn't have to say anything, but he makes me laugh. Um, he helped me produce the most beautiful child. I have a 13 year old today. Um, but he, he definitely helped me get past, you know, the girl in the mirror and realize that I was more than just what I look like in the reflection. So when you told him that you weren't doing so well, what was, this, what was his reaction? I think in the early years he wanted to solve it. What's wrong? What, you know, but why, why are you going through that? But don't think like that, you know, maybe even tell me what I should or shouldn't think. And that was all good intention. But I think later he realized, ah, I just need to be present for you. And sometimes just make you laugh if I'm crying, you know, and even today, if there's days where I'm not feeling and I could feel the mood coming on, I don't know why I can't help it. It is part of me. And I just say like, "Ah, I'm just not doing great. I can feel it. And he's like, I got you. You tell me what you need. I got you. Hmm. I don't need him to solve it. I just need him to know like my, I'm, I might even wake up with amnesia the next morning and be perfectly fine. But, um, but that's a strong person to stick with, you know, those that have to go through mental health. I mean, it's not easy, especially when he doesn't have a bad day. I mean, he's rainbows and butterflies. Right. I definitely think he's a keeper. So uh, you're going to have to probably stay with him. Um, I like him. (laughs) I got to get the other ladies away from him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Tomas. Um, all right. So, so what kind of therapy did you go through then? What was the kind of order of operations? Did you go multiple different types of therapy? Like how'd that work? I just went to regular old, like I feel crazy kind of therapy. Sit mm-hmm. down with somebody. I, I'm not a believer that the first person you sit with is going to be the person to solve your problem. I think sometimes it's like finding the perfect dentist. Or finding your perfect, I don't know, doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to connect with them. You can't walk in the room and feel literally crazy. You've got to feel like, okay, when I walk out of here, I'm going to leave with tools. And this one tool, I'm going to use it today. And I'm going to think about it later. I do think you have to connect with that person. I think it's definitely two to tango in that type of situation too. You you really do have to be able to be honest with that person and some people you for whatever reason you're just like I just can't seem saying what I need to say to this person right um they might have great tools I'm never going to get the truth out of me to their their ears it's for whatever reason I just can't talk to this person and you said it the truth because you you can't hold back to them you got to give them everything your doctor, your lawyer, their therapist, and your security expert, you have to be honest with. Because if you hold things back, you will definitely get what you pay for. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Shoddy advice. Um, 
So I think there is something to finding the right person. Um, and so it sounds, was it the first person or? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, there are times where I pick up therapy and I, I drop it off. I'm like, I'm okay right now. And then, no, I'm not okay. I'm going to go see someone. I think it's like, um, for some people, it's not like a Motrin or a Tylenol. I need to take it today, but I don't need it tomorrow. There's some people who constantly need it. And that's, if you need that, that is your method right? That's what's going to get you to the finish line. So I don't want to give this advice away. For me, it's seasonal. If I know, and I've been able to gauge when I'm coming down to the cliff and it's not okay, like I need more than just a pep talk, right? Or um, for me, turning off my brain is watching a movie, Mm -hmm. right? I started to learn who um, I'm kind of a Hallmark kind of girl. Mm. I mean, anybody can walk into a Hallmark and, you know, you don't have to like flip the switch, you know, but I'll take anything, any suggestions. What's mm-hmm. your favorite? Um, I think my go-to are stuff that's sort of gritty and more realistic. Um, but I also watch the things that are very popular culture as well, mostly because of the memes. You got to know your <laughs> memes. In my world, it's super critical. You got to know it. Uh, you'd be surprised. You see these mass shooters and you're like, and they post some manifesto and you read through it. You're like, ah, I see the meme. I know where they got it from. I know what organizations oh they were belong to. Like if you know, if you really know your memes. This uh, is a whole nother level of watching. Uh, yeah. Robert, I'm just talking about flipping on the switch. I, I know. I can't. I, I have to at least be doing something while I'm doing something. What Otherwise, are you binge watching right now? Um, It is uh, Snowfall. Um, it is, I think it's on Hulu and... Um, Hulu is not paying for this, by the way. Okay, yes, uh, so let's get but, that. But, but Hulu uh, can if you, you know, <laughs> they want to give you a call. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's basically a story about uh, the cocaine uh, um, to crack epidemic uh, that was paid for by effectively the Iran-Contra affair or whatever. Um, and um, so it's got some CIA stuff and some urban crimes. Okay, with Tomas, I do watch these things, but I'm going to have to mention Snowfall. Mm-hmm. It was inter- it's an interesting show. I think there's like four or five seasons or something, so you can binge it for a while. Okay, it's yeah. a give and take. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm not for action, but I watch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need positive thoughts in my head. Yeah, I, I do find myself watching comedies a lot. I do think that there is something to just laughing and yes. being mindless or whatever. And there's a lot of memes and jokes. Uh, you'll hear someone tell a joke. You're like, I know exactly what you saw that got you to that joke. Uh, it's Did a you rephrasing. like The Office? Uh, I only watched a little bit of it. I didn't watch very much. I think okay. maybe like five episodes of it or something. I can't remember which. I think I watched the American version, not the British version. Okay. Um, I know. I'm behind. No, no, it's okay. Uh, I'm behind. You know, it's there's, okay. there's about a million things I have not watched. And I'm also very busy. So that, that doesn't help. I understand. Um, I'm busy doing things. Uh, so what do you do? <laughs> Absolutely nothing but watch Hallmark shows, apparently. <laughs> I remember that. You're supposed to say, what are you an expert uh, no, on? No, no. I like my version better. <laughs> I love that. So I House cleaning. I mean, uh-huh. I'll do whatever uh-huh. I need to do, Robert, uh-huh. to get through the day. Okay. I see. I see. Uh, but you and your husband did start something together at some point, right? We did. We started a publishing company. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that we published, which is probably the most popular for what we know is Luxury Home Magazine. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, it's been a fun journey together. Um, but we publish all kinds of things. Tell me about it. Publishing is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> is it? It's paper. Well, <laughs> I mean, but, except but for it, when you visit the plant, you know. But you get to uh, go on set and uh, d- like choose what's in there, right? I mean, it's like 
it's not just like printed. No, it's fun, especially you in, to meet people. I'm assuming you right? meet a lot. Of, as a matter of fact, you know, we're going to be at a function and be able to see some of the luxury in Austin. Mm-hmm. You know, um, here tomorrow. Actually, oh, yes. Are you staying? I hope, the, I hope I'll see are you, you staying there. the night just to do that, or are you no, going no, all the way back. back? I know, all Oof. the way back to come. Come on, it's an hour all the way back to come all the way back here. Okay, well. That's assuming the traffic holds out, but all right, fine. I mean, Austin traffic <laughs> is something to talk about. I'll be honest. Yeah, it is. San Antonio is getting right there with you, is though. It? All right. <laughs> yeah, but you guys haven't lived in Los Angeles. Come on. He's uh, not wrong. The 405. Oof. 101. Ugh. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 101. <laughs> the Lord. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been in uh, seven hours of traffic uh, in the Bay Area once. Um, there was a there was a bus that flipped over and took out six and a half of the seven oh lanes of traffic, goodness. and it was just it was. Just Done. You're just done for the day. Well, that's it. <laughs> My mom's up. from the Bay Area. The <laughs> oh, traffic's yeah. no joke. Yeah, it is no joke. Um, so uh, why did you decide to do that magazine? I spent a lot of time in home building and construction. Mm-hmm. So I did sales. Um, I walked clients through the process of building a home. Mm-hmm. And then when I had Enzo, my son, I transitioned into general real estate and worked for um, more custom home builders. And I felt a need for uh, this particular magazine, which ended up being like a franchise. So it's all over the U.S. and different states like Hawaii, Florida, um, California. And we opened the markets of Austin and San Antonio with our publishing company. Well, that's great. Yeah. So we met so many crazy people. Awesome houses in this area. Like really amazing. So many millions. Yeah. So many millions. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. So what is the kind of criteria to be in that magazine? So many millions. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Real estate agents that are marketing a client's home will put that home as a feature to sell it or talk about maybe something that they've sold, luxury businesses, things like that. Uh So it's really fun. It gets direct mailed to all the affluent addresses in the area, whatever market it's in. Uh So for in this case, Austin. Uh Uh-huh. And how do you actually pay for that? I'm assuming it's advertising, right? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. Who advertises? Is it just other luxury home builders or luxury home like builders, Cartier, and that kind of thing? All of it. You know, fun. We've had some Cartier events. Um, Aston I was Martin. joking about that, but that's no uh, yeah. Tiffany's. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, we so. partner with a lot of luxury brands. But who advertises? Home builders, real estate agents who have a home for sale. So anyone who has anything luxury for sale, mm-hmm. and then of course businesses, um, products, services. Excuse me. Like local businesses. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Um, when a franchise like that. Uh, does Cartier go to the parent and say, I want to talk to all of the subs or do they go to you directly? Well, interesting in San Antonio, they came to us and said, Hey, we'd like to roll out an exclusive line that we um, have. I think it was called Delise at the time. It was like a particular, I think it was $35,000 watch Mm -hmm. and higher and said, we'd love to partner with a luxury home. So we landed in a multi-million dollar home in San Antonio. They flew in all of their um, merchandise and security guards and had these gentlemen dressed as you would see, like with their um, uniform. It was really fun. So it, it's fun to partner with luxury brands. I Drive bet. an Aston Martin. You Rolls said Royce. this was boring. This doesn't sound boring at all. Well, the, <laughs> When we step out, it's fun. I mean, it uh, is fun to go. We've brought in personalities, like partnered with um, Million Dollar Listing, Josh Altman, brought him to San Antonio, did some stuff in Austin. It, those parts are fun. Um, but otherwise, we're just pushing paper, Robert. Mm. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. You haven't uh, sold me on this. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see like you tomorrow lot, then. It sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, it, it is. I mean, we meet some amazing people and really look at some dream homes, truthfully. 
So you also have a digital version as, as well. So that doesn't sound like paper at all. Uh, no. So I think I'm hearing lies. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's so I'm much going on here. <laughs> do you still want to talk to me? I do. I do. <laughs> what do you do for a living? <laughs> I know. So what does the digital platform do? What is that for whatever? And the digital for the magazine? Mm-hmm. It, um, it, so if you're in Hawaii and you're looking at Texas, which I mean, or California and you're coming to Texas, you can look at all the luxury homes right there on the digital platform. So you're able to see what, what's happening right here in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, who are the agents who, who are the ones that specialize in luxury, um, right in the market, there's an, another market in Dallas, or if you're crossing the country from California, you want to be in Sarasota, Florida, you can flip through the digital version of luxury home magazine. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fun. And do the agents, uh, also advertise housing as well. I think maybe you answered that, but I'm not sure I understood. So, so if I ha- if they have like a multi-million dollar home and they really want it sold, do they advertise on that home on your platform? Absolutely. So they usually use it for either just the entry level luxury. So let's say it's a million dollars in um, Austin or the specialty luxury, you know, it's this house on acreage with a helipad and, you know, you really are trying to get it out to the buyer. I don't know why that, you buy anything without a helipad. Or on a private <laughs> airport. I mean, the amount of luxury, I mean, it's mind boggling in Austin. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. And I think you see it on the pages because a lot of times you're not going to see it online, but you will see it, you know, on a whisper in the pages of Luxury Home Magazine. Mm-hmm. But the client's trying to get to the client that can buy it. Mm-hmm. So the agent, yes. So I did a little bit of research uh, on Tomas before this. You did. Uh, a little bit. Just to so know, know your story a bit. And he said when he first saw it uh, in print that he wept. Um, <laughs> first of all, do you remember him crying? I really, uh, Tomas has cried like five times. He's not a big crier. Well. But I feel like. He wept like a little, (laughs) I don't know, it was humid in the lid area. (laughs) No, it was really, so what goes into starting a market for Luxury Home Magazine is so much. By the time, absolutely. I mean, you first, San Antonio, to the founders, we had to prove that San Antonio was indeed a luxury market. And then once you get the keys of the kingdom, if you will, then you roll out and you have to bring in agents and home builders and luxury goods and services and create this magazine in a market that it never existed before. So all that work that, you know, goes into it, absolutely to see it, it was like seeing the book, it's finished, it's done, right? It's a, it's a product that you feel proud of. So I, yes, he definitely was emotional. It's a little like, you know, giving birth or something I would imagine. I mean, you're like, wow, this thing's finally out there. No, it's not like giving birth. (laughs) No. A little bit. A man should never say it's a little like giving birth. Well, yeah. No, okay, maybe not. Okay, fine. (laughs) But it is laborious, right? And you're finally seeing it come, you know, to reality. It's really fun. vision and it's finally there. Yes. And how many knows? I mean, think about, it was really interesting. You have agents or, you know, businesses that said, no, thank you. We don't want to be in the the issue, you know, the first, you know, coming out issue. And then for them to see it and then the phone is ringing and they want to be included. Of course they do. uh, Now that it's real. Now that they've seen how well it was done. And we, the opportunities that we give them for exposure, we just had a golf tournament for the NFL alumni. And so Luxury Home Magazine was able to bring into San Antonio this 
crazy golf tournament, partnering with, uh, you know, foundation, Morgan's Inclusion Initiative. Are you familiar with Morgan's Wonderland? No. It's like the world's first and largest ultra accessible, ultra inclusive um, theme park that later became also water park with um, Morgan's Inspiration Island. And so you're able to give a spotlight to, you know, a nonprofit being Morgan's Inclusion Initiative, and then partner with the NFL alumni. So you have past, um, I'm not a football follower, but I've learned all these amazing gentlemen who give up their time that have played in the NFL, go play golf, and then do something for good. And Luxury Home Magazine backs that and is a part of that. So I know what you're saying that, yes, it is more than pushing paper, but sometimes when you're in that, it feels like that. But we know that when we come out, there's some good that's happening in the community. Yeah, totally. How did you happen upon that magazine in particular? What was it something you saw and you're like, that's in a, in a nice place and we should pick it up and Oh, do they have a franchise? Like how'd you even, yeah, it's Google Robert Yeah, luxury. Uh, Cause I, we knew we were going to focus on luxury. Not, so luxury not, not bang. home All right, magazine. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> not bang. Okay. All right. Poor Bing friends. Oof. <laughs> Sorry. But it is a franchise. So there's multiple cities. Uh-huh. Um, it's like a family of, you know. So do you guys meet magazines. up and talk? And Absolutely. Every two years. And this year is our conference year. So we have mm-hmm. other owners from different markets that come in. Um, and it's 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 a great family to is be a part of. Is it a frenemy of. situation? Or are you guys actually partners? Or how does that work? We're a frenemy. No. We, are, we enjoy each other. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No. There's no competition like that. As a matter of fact, there's synergy. Because if I've got a client or an agent that moved, you know, to California or has a client that is coming to Texas, you know, you definitely want to partner them up to help them find their new home. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what creates the buyers and sellers is luxury home. Yeah, I was going to say what you... It seems like there'd be a massive market for taking the listing in some random region, like wherever, some luxury home in Michigan, let's say, and advertising in Texas as you just say it's, oh, it's a winter home or whatever. You want to be in the snow country or whatever, you know, and people are like, actually, that sounds like kind of fun. And that place is awesome. So great. I'll buy it. Yeah. Sometimes California, you know, clients find their, you know, home in Texas. Mm -hmm. And so entrepreneurship in general, would you recommend it? It's not for everyone. But it is definitely my, it's my speed. Yeah, you like it? Uh, Tomas started out as a teacher. Um, He got his master's. He wanted to be a principal. Terrible mistake. No, he, (laughs) I mean, I I married for love. (laughs) What do you do (laughs) for a living? (laughs) I did. I married for love. Um, I know I had a friend who was like, I married an engineer because she knew exactly what his paycheck would be. I'm like, yeah, but are you happy? Yeah. But um, later, you know, we kind of switched roles because Tomas being the teacher, um, he, uh, I was working for a home builder and doing marketing. And when we got the opportunity for Luxury Home Magazine, he had a contract. He was teaching teachers all over Texas. Um, He's a great speaker and teacher. And so we switched up. He became the publisher and started it. And he's been amazing. I mean, the minute somebody would have told me no, I would have ran for the hills. I can't, I don't like to say no. And I don't like to be told no. But you were in sales. It's true. but That's a lot of no's in sales. But in a model home People come to you wanting to know about your product, you know, um, and it's true that in the world of Luxury Home Magazine, it's uh, people come to you and ask you, but the minute I would say, hey, do you want to advertise? And they say no. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'd, I'd have more than humidity coming out of my eyelids. Um, uh-huh. But he's just great for it. I mean, and he's translated that into actually teaching businesses and, you know, using all the things that he's learned as we have as an entrepreneur into other businesses, whether it's an insurance company, a title company, a real estate office. Um, he actually spoke today for a remodel company talking about, you know, um, 
being uh, better communicators. And that's really fit perfectly. Uh, later, you know, this is a totally different, you know, avenue, but we had an opportunity to purchase a um, bilingual school. So for about five years, I exited the publishing and did a bilingual school mm. um, called Spanish Grove Academy. And it was a beautiful experience to learn about um, real entrepreneurship and a staff of like almost 40 going through the pandemic. I mean, Oof. we went through so much that, yeah, I, I can't take that exposure back of, right. but it was definitely something mm -hmm. you can imagine, right? I can. Um, so why would you want to be an entrepreneur then? I think, well, everyone talks about flexibility, but there's something that, you know, when you are an employee, there's also flexibility that people don't realize. Sure. You might have to ask for time off, but you aren't required to be on constantly. I think Offering someone, you know, we have a, a staff in an, our San Antonio market and our Austin market, but offering that opportunity for someone to be part of your team and creating that and creating what the future looks like and being able to step it out, you know, every exact detail, um, there's something creative and powerful. It, it feels really like you're paving something, you're leaving a legacy more than just working for a company. So we've done both and there's pluses and minuses on both, but this is just, we enjoy it. I mean, it really has been a fit for us. I think you're crazy. Uh, really? I mean, I'm kind of looking <laughs> at an entrepreneur. So what entrepreneur, do you do for a living? Yeah, I know. Entrepreneurship, it, I, I'm crazy too. Um, and especially if you've done it more than once, you're definitely crazy. Because the first time you do it and then you're kind of stuck doing it. The cereal? If you, do it, if you do it twice, you're definitely crazy. And I've done it many times. Um, but the thing is, I think that there's something nice about growing something from absolutely nothing. Yeah. Like this didn't even have a name until I gave one, you know, right. it didn't have color schemes. It didn't have a, a title, a graphic. It had nothing. There was nothing before I started it. And now it's a thing and it exists yeah. and it's fun. And, um, there's a lot of downside, uh, absolutely. like an enormous amount. It's, you never uh, stop. <clears throat> and you never stop, especially in consulting or something like that. You really never stop. So I think you're crazy. I think I'm crazy, but I think it's the kind of crazy that if you don't have it, you don't have ingenuity in the world. And, um, I feel like there's a lot of things that need to be built. And so I just, I don't see anyone else building the things I'm thinking about. So I just do it myself. Oh, so. I, absolutely. And I think it's fun because you're taking a, a, a team along with you, but mm -hmm. you're also responsible for them. Mm -hmm. You know, I, that felt the strongest during the pandemic when, um, the magazine, uh, and the publishing company thrived where the school, because of the shutdowns and different regulations, um, really struggled. And you had this core of people who, no matter what pandemic, you know, issues, all the complexities that come with it, they were still willing to come do the service and serve the parents. And that was something that, that camaraderie, that, um, bond, I mean, forever will be there, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's fun to, to have a team alongside of you and know that, yes, you're responsible for them to put food on their you know table and, you know, all the things that they need and their responsibilities of life, but you have a part of their story, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's fun. Yeah. And we are crazy. It's okay. It's crazy, but it's all right. Some of the, my favorite people are crazy. So that's kind of how it is. Are you saying I'm your favorite person now? <laughs> Getting Thank there. you. Thank it's you. a little early, but <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll get there. Um. Well, this has been great. I, I want to know, like, where do I get your book? And like, what, how are you pricing it? Like, how, how, what do you, what's sort of your vision for it? Where are you taking it? 
Sure. Um, who knows? Maybe it'll be on the big screen one day, Robert. Yeah, who knows? But I think this book. I know someone at Disney. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do they hey, work hey, at Pet you Boys? Got somebody in the control room that wants to do this too, you know. Okay, we're on it. We're ready. Let's go, Chris. So um, this book, I think um, it was written for someone, you know, um, like that conversation with Rudy, which was part of that conversation asking, what was that moment where you felt like this was why you wanted this movie, right? And he shared some stories about the people that have shared with him how that movie has affected their life. But this was written for someone, and I don't know who it is, and I hope that one day I will, but that isn't the point. The point is that I want this to circulate to get to that person who maybe doesn't have that community surrounding them, who had what I had. Um, Or maybe they just feel like they've lost hope, right? And so we did, um, it's everywhere that you could possibly find it, I think, but Amazon there, um, the uh, digital version is 99 cents and it'll always be 99 cents so that anyone at any level could always afford the book. Mm -hmm. Um, You can get it on Audible Mm. and hear the beautiful Crystal Navarro. um, (laughs) Crystal did it, huh? Read it to you. Yes, it's beautiful. She's also hiding in the control room. Yes, she is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you can't hide once you've met her because her, she's so full of spirit in life. So Uh it's, she's a, a blessing in my life. Thank you, Crystal, if you're listening. <laughs> but um, I, I do. I hope it gets to someone um, that helps them find their next tomorrow for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much. Um, thank you. And uh, any last words for anyone struggling that you might um, throw out there? For someone struggling, I think if they just can see that tomorrow's coming, right? Mm-hmm. And that... As I mentioned before, that every day is not easy, but it's worth living. And whoever they are, whoever you are, that you're worth absolutely everything. And someone else out there feels the same way. But don't hide what's inside. Connect with someone. So where can people get a hold of you um, if they want to get in touch with you? Social media, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Um, I have a website, ChristinaMariaMartinez.com. Um, feel free to reach out. And in the back of the book, I do share an email. I'd love to hear your story. So if someone out there has a story. I was going to just, I was going to ask that question. Yeah, that would be really fun to kind of start collecting some of these. Um, so. And already, I, I can't tell you how many stories I've received and I love every single one of them. Are you going to start publishing them somehow? I don't know. Maybe, Robert. That might be kind of fun. I mean, we'll you, could, see. you could change their names or whatever if they want to, but. The no. amount of stories I've heard, I mean, it, it is sobering because I feel like what I've gone through is nothing compared to what, you know, people have gone through and their scars, whether outside or inside, but it's a beautiful thing. So yes, please share your story. I love it. And I love to connect with whoever they are. Yeah, that's great. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank uh-huh. you.